Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. My name is Will Holden, and today I'm joined by Andy Melbourne. How are you doing, Andy? Yeah, I'm all right. Hi, Will. Hello, and Mark Wall. How's it going, Mark? Yeah, I'm decent, mate. Thanks. How are Good you? Good news. Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. Thank you for asking. Don't always get that courtesy. <laughs> this week has been my selection of film, album, and top five list. Uh, the film was The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blanc-Sec. Uh, the album was Little Tybee by Little Tybee. And the top five list was top five video game soundtracks. So The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blanc-Sec is a French film directed by Luc Besson. It came out in 2010 and stars Louise Burgoyne. And it follows the adventures of Adele uh, as she tries to resurrect an ancient Egyptian doctor to save her sister from a mysterious medical condition. Bon voyage, Mademoiselle Blanc-Sec. Well, I watched it on Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. and I think it's the perfect time to watch it. Like, it is a, it's a Sunday afternoon film. A, a real Sunday afternoon, huh? Yeah, for sure. I enjoyed it. Like, it's really fun, pretty just fluffy. Mm-hmm. It, nothing has any sort of consequence in it, really. Like, I know the overarching plot has a major consequence to it. Like, it's trying to save her sister, but... Yeah, but even that's built on a farce, isn't it? Like, even that's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what were your general impressions, Marco? Well, uh, I, I obviously cocked up here because I, I watched it Sunday morning. So... <laughs> 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 that, that changed everything uh the first half an hour i wasn't enjoying it much i have to say mm-hmm. but as it went along it kind of got a little more endearing to me as it pushed into that afternoon time that, that was obviously the way forward so you crossed um, the threshold and it became great well no it did not become great <laughs> um, it's it's really it's a strange film really like it's a family film I don't know who it's supposed to be aimed at because mm. yeah. like, there's, there's just, just Luke Besson, I think. <laughs> there's a bit think... of nudity in it. <laughs> I wonder if this is a mainland Europe thing that we British prudes just don't get, and that casual female nudity <laughs> is fine in a sort of PG and you know Mary Poppins whapping her poppins it was, out. It was funny how they did it as well because they had that initial scene in front of the mummy, and it was kind of just played a bit like you know as a joke or whatever, and it was fine. I was like, oh, fair play. It was just now we'll just cut to her in a bath now, topless for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't 
I, I struggled with it at times. It's it's very caricature as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, which is fine. I kind of liked the um, the detective and stuff, and like some of the visual comedy there. It was obviously all quite over the top, but I quite enjoyed that. The bad guy stuff was a bit weird. He just sort of turns up, and it's good old matey boy from a uh, Quantum of Solace. Oh, God. Yeah. The thing is, I saw that he was in it, and then when the film finished, I was like, I don't, like, who was he? In an well, intense level of like, <laughs> bad I, makeup. I, I yeah, looked it just, up, I was like, Christ alive, like, solid disguise, I'll give him that. Well, he's he's a pretty odd-looking guy in the first place, and they just thought, mm. well, that's not enough, we'll just make him <laughs> as ugly as possible. Um, what did you think, Will? This was my pick, but actually this was the first time I've seen this film as well. I wanted to try and say broadly on brand for me. So I looked up uh, underrated comic book films thinking I'm going to find that sweet piece of like comic film that's going to blow everybody's socks off. I don't think I did. Uh, I think I have some of the same endearments as Andy, but certainly some of the same disappointments as you, Mark. Like my first impressions, actually, I was sort of enjoying it, the kind of quirky voiceover and it being quite kind of referential as it described the plot as it went on. I like that kind of noir thing. Visually, I thought I was going to enjoy this because it has that kind of Victorian steampunk kind of pseudoscience thing that I'm often on board for. But for me, I'm not sure it pushed far enough into that like quirkiness. And I think because it didn't, some of the bits like the bad makeup and some of the kind of goofy jokes didn't land for me because it hadn't sold that idea of it being this kind of insane world insane things happened and yeah it didn't quite click all of that stuff a film like that i think has always got a ceiling about how good it can be yeah i mean yes it's not gonna be a masterpiece is it no like i started off quite positive like i don't think you can it could ever break into a like high bracket of filmmaking just because of what it is like there's no substance to it like it is all kind of it's an enjoyable, like, fluff film. It kind of did what it set out to do in that way. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping for, I know, I'm pretty sure you've seen both these, Marks. I think we watched them together, but Delicatessen and City of Lost Children. Are yeah, these... there's, there's a fair bit of Jean-Pierre Genet style in it, for sure. I think that's, I was hoping for more. Like, I think it, it drew a line too early for me in that real, like, surrealist, steampunk french cinema of all like copper pipes and mm-hmm. almost like circus freak <laughs> kind of uh, characters and it just it, it stopped a bit short for where i th- i guess i was hoping for it to go yeah I, I i agree with that really all it was really all in the sort of makeup and the appearance of people that it sort of had that Genet style but the atmosphere didn't really match it i don't think there are a couple of like specific bits I think I'll I'll call out. Like it, it opens up with her trying to find uh, the tomb of a mummy so that she can bring the Pharaoh's doctor back to life to cure her sister. Easily yep. explained. But what I thought, like around the, the tomb and things, there's no like puzzle to it. There's no challenge to it. She sort of walks about and knows what to do. And it's kind of briefly explained with a throwaway line when somebody says, how do you know all of this? And she said, well, you can either be Egyptian or you can read. 
Yeah, it's no Indiana Jones or Two Raider, is it? Like it's that was uh, it. I was kind of hoping for maybe a little more kind of challenge or interest or excitement about that kind of thing, but it almost just felt like she simply acted and and then sort of stuff happened. I think it's it's closest to the Brendan Fraser mummy films. Out of (laughs) yes, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I think that's fair. Like, although Adele is our hero, and sometimes. Uh, shown as incredibly smart, sort of incredibly capable, is occasionally just a sort of bumbling buffoon and just sort of stumbles away through situations. So alongside all this business, like it does roughly tie together, but there's also a pterodactyl just flying around Paris. And there's a bit towards the end where she kind of finds the pterodactyl at its nest and, and she brings bird feed to a pterodactyl. Uh, yeah, and it, that's right. That's a stupid bit. I just thought, what's the what's the what's the point here? What's the message that you're painting her as an intelligent character, and now she's a dipshit bringing birdseed to a fucking mm. dinosaur? <laughs> like particularly the first scene that you see the pterodactyl uh, when it's like born out of the egg. Yeah, I really like the um, slightly naff animation style of it. Like it's almost like Jason and the Argonauts. Like, it looked like it was kind of stop motion in bits. Yeah, I don't know if it was a purposeful, like, choice to make it look old-fashioned or whether it was just the the budget restraint or whatever, but they are kind of slightly naffy CGI, but I think you're right. I think it works in the setting. I would imagine it's probably, like, budget restraints. You know, when she... It's that same scene with the birdseed where she, like, jumps on the back of the pterodactyl they don't actually really show anything of her like riding on the back of the pterodactyl. Like it's just no, it's all silhouette. It's just kind of brushed past. And I think that's like, you're not wasting, you're not wasting budget on CGIing that are you? Like you, you show two seconds of it and then sort of smudge the rest. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was a bit back and forth. Like I thought quite a lot of the mummies actually look quite good, even in some close up. The, the texture of their like mummified skin and uh, when they made contact with Adele and sort of touched Adele, it looked like they were making contact. Yeah. And then there is the bit where she flies on the pterodactyl to save the doctor from the guillotine. God, imagine if you hadn't watched this film, you'd hear us going on about <laughs> Adele flying a pterodactyl. Um, <laughs> and in that moment, I think, is where the budgetary restraints ran out. That was the one moment that I thought the CGI is is actually genuinely just a bit crap in this particular moment. And other times I thought, like you say, it's quite endearingly naffy. But yeah, that that moment when he flies down and picks him up just looked like a PS2 cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> the pterodactyl was the man, no? He was a cool guy. I was quite sad when he went. So it- yeah, that's it. Very unceremoniously kill him off. I, th- I think that's part of it as well. That I can't decide whether is bad or fine i don't think it's particularly good but that kind of jump from plot to plot to plot like the pterodactyl is one of the opening issues of the of the film and then he's dead about 20 minutes from the end and this film's only just over an hour and a half long it's what i mean though about nothing having consequence in it like um, yeah like when the, the like things happen like there's obviously the pterodactyl's death as um whatever the uh scientist is called yeah his death as well they're just like completely brushed over as but the only thing that they you know kind of have consequence in the film is how they affect adele yeah there's no real 
character depth, which you wouldn't really expect from that kind of film. I don't really think it needs it. Then I guess what ultimately becomes the A plot, but up until that point, it's quite the B plot of Adele's kind of dead sister. Yeah. That that was a, 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 a bit of a livener for me. I think like when she went into this room and is putting blush on this sort of corpse of her sister that she's got struck <laughs> yeah, to her bed. Yeah. With a hair I thought, through her, a hat pin through her. Through, the through her, of her forehead. Then <laughs> I was thinking, Adele's kind of interesting. She's weird. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure whether it was going to be, were they going to have that fairy tale moment where her sister came back to life or is she just sort of preserving this corpse <laughs> of her sister that she's killed? Um, and in that moment, yeah, I thought, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty weird and cool. <laughs> Another scene or, or series of scenes, I guess, is when she tries to break the professor out of death row. So he's been sentenced to death for, I guess, for harboring the pterodactyl. It's never really clear what he's been sentenced to death for. The bad, dis- but, bad disguises scene. Yeah. I mean, how many times can you be thrown out of prison before you put in prison? No consequences. Bra- no, no consequences whatsoever. <laughs> then in the end, it doesn't matter. When she finally gets a plan that might work, he's been moved. It felt, again, and and perhaps this is unfair because this is criticising a film for not being what I wanted it to be, which isn't uh, isn't good criticism, but I just felt it passed over another good opportunity to have a kind of interesting prison break sort of scene or or either interesting, clever or exciting kind of moment, and it kind of ruined it on this one-note joke that sort of fell flat after the first time it happened. Yeah, I sort of disagree, like... It's bits like that that make me think that it's a film that's like aimed at teenagers. Like it's just silly, like five minutes of the film. But I just kind of giggled my way through that bit. Quite enjoyed, <laughs> quite enjoyed it. Like it is, is like it's daft and it has no meaning to it. Yeah, as a, as a little little scene, I quite enjoyed them. I think I can sort of see what you mean if I adjust my uh, viewpoint to like that after school. TV shows aimed at the slightly older child. Yeah. And it is that kind of humour, that like sort of humour of farce and, and repetition. I think I wanted this to be more like uh, a Wes Anderson film, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and that's unfair. That's a, an unfair critique, but... It's funny you say that, because the phone scene, yeah, where the president like calls and says he wants the pterodactyl issue sorted and the person who he calls phone somebody else and every time they pass it further down the line they've got less and less time to deal with it that seems just straight out of a Wes Anderson film absolutely (laughs) I think that's what made me start thinking about it and then like say just thinking about the prison scene and stuff and thinking about like fantastic Mr Fox and them tunneling through earth yeah I thought maybe just something I don't know something inventive like that would have been might have been better but again I am just sort of complaining that it isn't what I wanted it to be and that's (laughs) <laughs> that's not right yeah i think even the uh the score sort of it starts with like a big sort of lawrence of arabia mm. eastern desert theme it's quite sweeping and i kind of expected it to be i seemed quite fairly serious at that point but then immediately it goes into some sort of comedy like french music mm-hmm. which uh i'm fine with but it was just a weird kind of juxtaposition between the two and that the film is kind of like that overall. And I don't know, it's just, it's not quite funny enough to be a comedy. 
Um, yeah. I agree. There's, you sort of smile at a few scenes and it's kind of entertaining in a light way, but it's, it's, not, it's not a flat-out comedy and neither of it is not an action film. I don't really know what it is. I just thought it was disappointing. To, to comment on what you said there, the opening scenes, like the open, the, the literal uh, opening of the film, mm-hmm. I thought was really boring. <laughs> like They had that kind of Egyptian-style music, but it was just text on a sandy background. The one bit that actually made me like laugh out loud was in the tomb when the like uh, Egyptian diggers uh, turn on Adele and she sort of tells them that what's coming out of here is sort of like basically petrol. It's like tar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one guy just lights his mate's hand on fire, like immediately without saying a word. And they just stand there and look at him as he's like, <laughs> his hand is completely ablaze. And that bit really made me laugh. I remember like pointing out at that, that moment, like when he puts it, imme- like she says what it is, and then he immediately puts his hand in it. And he's just like, why would and you then, do that? And then his mate, like some teenage, like knobhead, just <laughs> puts fire to it immediately. That's <laughs> yeah, great. I don't think it was meant to be that funny, but that was the that was the highlight for me. I enjoyed the kind of underwater escape scene, which made very little sense to me uh, geographically where she seems to go down several waterfalls and ends up underneath a lake in, in the desert. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's funny, is it? Because it bounces between being quite fun because it's absurd, but also so absurd that there's just no, like, jeopardy either. There's nothing to be excited about. Like, when she surfaces, you think, well, of course she's, you know, there's... And I know that's true for, like, Indiana Jones is never going to die in one of his films either, but I just feel like... Th- there's a way of selling that jeopardy. No, it's suspension of disbelief. Like, you know, Indiana Jones isn't going to die because it's an Indiana Jones film, but it doesn't mean whilst you're watching it. When he goes over the cliff on that tank. Yeah, you don't write off that that's a a possibility. (laughs) Like, you have it in your mind that, you know, Indy could really be dead. There was throughout, I think the music was pretty functional, but forgettable. Like, I think it, it played to the scene and the atmosphere, but outside of the stuff that was known, probably copyright-free classical music, I, uh, I, I couldn't remember any of it. I thought, yeah. the, um, I thought the last 10 minutes of the film were like pretty much redundant as well. Like the uh, Andre with a, with a J. Jaguar. It's, um, it's kind of nice for him to have a nice little potential love bit at the end. Like, that's fine. So, you know, yeah. getting on the Titanic was... Uh, I think that must be to set up the potential sequel, right? Like, that's their extraordinary adventures on the Titanic. Or Yeah, it was just weird how the, the bad guy came back right at the end and it was like, oh, yeah, that was the guy that was set up as, like, the main villain in this film. It's just, <laughs> just not been in it. He's <laughs> <laughs> not in it at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, it is it's based... I guess loosely, and I've not read it on a on a sort of French comic. And I think like I can get that vibe. I can imagine the comic. It's got a sort of Tintin-ish yeah. uh Euro comic 100%, sort of yeah. feel about it. And Luke Besson's kind of got a obviously got a thing for that a little bit because um Valerian is also like a French comic, does a lot of sort of sci-fi stuff. I'm glad they didn't kill the dog that Luke Besson made the decision that the pterodactyl was gonna adopt the little Scotty dog as a sort of baby rather than just munch it down like it did with all the sheep. I was pretty confused by that, like, for a little while. I 
I don't know why the decision was made, but I was glad for it because that little fella didn't need to be eaten. No, saddest bit in films. I don't mind if uh, if humans die, but it's why Marley and Me is the saddest film of all time. Oh, God. Turner and Hooch. Spoiler mm. alert. <laughs> For a film of like 1987 or something. <laughs> okay, well, are we ready for ratings? Yeah. Yes. Go on, Marco. I mean, I, I kind of told myself I was going to try and be positive mm-hmm. rather than negative because, you know, the world's a nice place if you say good things. And you're a very but, positive person. Yes, <laughs> <the laughs> obviously. I think, uh, honestly, the rating I had in mind uh, was free. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I could push it to a four, maybe. Let's, let's be generous. Let's, let's go with the four. I would have turned it off if, if we'd not been sort of talking about it. I, w- I would have turned it off after the first 20 minutes or so. Um, but it did, it did somewhat win me over. Huh. Andy, I think this might be a fairly polarizing. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I was um what I was saying about it having a ceiling, like it can never be a eight out of ten film because it just it sort of has no there's no jeopardy, there's no consequence, the story mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. Like it's characters just, don't really evolve. But I thought I thought it was just a fun, fun time. Like yeah. I, I I definitely wouldn't have turned it off. In fact, like I would watch it again. So I'm seven feels pretty generous. I'm going to go six out of 10. It fits that like Sunday afternoon fun time Mm -hmm. vibe. So yeah, six out of 10. I think after all, I'm probably close to the Andy camp that I did enjoy it. I don't think I'd have turned it off. I think I would have watched it through. Honestly, say I'm going to watch it again. I don't, I don't know. Um, And I gave it a bang in the middle, five out of 10. An absolute middler. Cool. Okay, so should we move on then to talking about the album Little Tybee, self-titled by Little Tybee? Yes, I believe we should. (laughs) That's (laughs) how this works, right? Go on then, kick us off. I think I've listened to it about, I don't know, quite a few times, maybe four times. Like, I liked it straight away. Like, I like their sound. It's kind of, I don't know, it's quite poppy, but it's almost like folky prog. But yeah, the first time I was listening to it, I wasn't really listening that much. I think I was just cooking and it was sort of on in the background. Yeah. And I don't know, I've gone off it the more I listen to it. For a start, I found it like, Aside from, I think, one song, I found it completely unmemorable. Like, more than Jason, I'm pretty sure, is the, like, single track from it. I think it's a pretty killer killer tune. Like, the second half of it goes off on a completely different tangent and is really cool. Like, the riffs are really good in it. Whereas usually I think the hooks are just, like, unmemorable. Like, I li- I do like their overall sound, though. I might listen to some of their other albums because I kind of feel like they're a band I should like. But yeah, I just found it kind of dull. (laughs) I sort of completely agree with you, uh, (laughs) to be honest. The other album that I'd listened to in the past was for Distant Viewing. 
and I think it's a better album, but I think it suffers from the same things. And I agree with, with what you said there really is that every time I listened to it, I would find my mind wandering. It's, it's really nice background music because I do like their overall sound, the instrumentation, mm. a lot of like uh, nice strings and interesting kind of melodies, but just not in a way that ever really becomes a hook. More like Jason. Again, I agree. The third track on the album, I think, is the standout. And it was listening to that song would always kind of snap me back into concentrating into the album. You know, I minded wonder even by the second track and the third one has that that hook, that sort of almost, um, I don't know how you'd describe it, perhaps kind of almost sort of Jewish music bit towards the end of that track is really awesome. And uh, they always kind of snap me back into to listening again, like actively listening. But yeah, before long, my mind had just wandered. It was never quite enough to hold my attention for a substantial period of time, despite it just having a really pleasant overall sound. I think that's the thing. It is pleasant. On one hand, it's sort of really light and airy and breezy music. And on the other hand, it's really dense and complicated. And that does make it quite a tough listen, even though it's quite pleasant just as a background kind of thing. I I really struggled with it because on one hand, there's some incredible musicianship on display. Like the guitarist is insane. He's got this like strumming technique, something that uses it quite a lot in the other album as well, where he sort of gets multiple beats into a note and has like, yeah, it's, that's all those sort which, of rhythmic things. Which is super cool. And, but then at times I kind of found it a bit much. Like it's just like, we'll just keep it simple. But there's, I think it's the last song and the first half of it is just acoustic guitar and voice. And I was like, well, this is, this is nice because it's a bit of a break. There's, there's often too much going on. Um, mm. Often I find with albums like that, the more you listen to it, you kind of get to unpick some of it because yeah. you kind of, it's like you get used to the kind of melody line. So your ear starts getting drawn to some of the other like background melodies and mm. like little counterpoint things. And I never really found that because I just found like it meanders a lot. There's a track in the middle uh, called The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's like track five, track six. And it starts off with like a kind of, I think it's got like a kind of cool, like rhythmical sort of idea through it. But then it, like that idea goes through the entire song, which is fine-ish. Like I would have liked a bit of a break anyway, but there's nothing memorable at all in the like vocal melody line. Like you couldn't really discern where choruses and verses were. It wasn't memorable enough for me to notice when a chorus came back around anyway. Yeah. They feel like, yeah, they feel like a band who have a really good album in them. Just this isn't it. What were your thoughts on the vocals, Marco? Um, I thought, sorry, it it, derails the entire record for me. That was my primary issue, I think. It's just constant falsetto, and his falsetto is terrible. It's (laughs) really nasally and just like, also... He's mixed really weirdly as well. I don't know if it's his natural voice, but there's always, like, I, I can't understand what he's saying ever. I, I actually found it quite painful at times, like <laughs> actually physically painful, uh, particularly like the first couple of tracks. It's just, he's just going higher and higher and it's just like, mate, chill. Like, just just sing the tune. Like, I, it's it's all falsetto. And then he harmonizes with a higher falsetto. And it's just, shut up. <laughs> there's, a song called, 
there's a song called Baritone where he actually sings in his normal voice. And it's like, thank God. His vocals weren't necessarily a big problem for me. I, I thought they were fine within the setting. Like, uh, it's not certainly not what I list, what, what I would listen to them for. When you said that there's um, like falsetto harmony on top of like his falsetto, yeah. I thought I thought that was a like female vocal. Is that is there not so. is there not a second vocalist? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I didn't look it up, but I'd be pretty confident in saying it's him. Right. Um, it's just I didn't mind some of the very very occasionally, and it wasn't very often at all. It kind of reminded me a little bit of. Um, like Mother Mother's more like chilled out tracks, like ghosting and stuff like that, where you just let the um He doesn't have that character though. No, that's what I mean, like very, very occasionally, like there were literally odd moments. I think it is a fairly unique and memorable voice. Um, like whether that you like that or not is a is a real different question. But I'm not sure you can be criticised for having a sort of generic voice. I say I didn't have a problem with it. It wasn't um, win for me either, but it wasn't a, a huge, uh, huge teardown. But <laughs> physical pain. <laughs> but the next album. I, <laughs> I think it's these like little earphones I've got as well. Um, I should actually invest in some which aren't just a fiver from Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> it might help. Why were I all just... the songs really fuzzy? <laughs> <laughs> It honestly was a problem for me. I just it, and I think it does play into as well the fact that not many of the songs really stand out because they're all very similar. He's doing that full set mm-hmm. thing in every single song. I don't get it really. I don't, generally the production of the album was not entirely to my taste. It's quite tasteful and nice or whatever, but it's very similar guitar sound throughout. And again, he's an incredible player. There was some nice like violin stuff, which obviously I appreciated. I think actually most of the hooks come from her. Yeah, they they make or break a song as well, because I think some of the is it track five, Golden Delilah? Yeah. Correct. Like the violin in that is just boring. Like it's um smulchy and twee. I always reference more than Jason, because it's the only song I actually really liked off it. But yeah. you're right, like the the track starts off with a like big violin hook, and that's what draws you into the track. Like when it works, it works. But I think a lot of the violin is kind of redundant. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, Mark. There's a bit of an indistinctness from track to track. I think a lot of the same tricks are, are, are used a lot by the various musicians, and like they seem to have a a thing they go to, and it feels like they go to it quite a lot. Definitely. I mean, I think a lot of the band's members are kind of by the by, aren't they? You know, you're a bassist, but you don't really notice the bass in that album at all. The drums, certainly not in this. No, I, I guess that's, neither are a big tenement of folk, really, are they? If I think if you consider no. folk a lot of the time, like the bass and drum is is the simplest thing you can sort of apply to it. And I think it would be hard to really criticize them for musicianship. Like I think when, like you say, when they're good, they're really good, and they do do some impressive things but i think what for an hour's worth of an album by track five or six i think you've kind of heard everything that they've got to offer but you still got the rest of the album to go (laughs) yeah i think that the my criticism's not down to the musicianship though um like the musicianship was good the songwriting i think was generally like pretty poor i I think it's disappointing as well because there was those like I say, there were bits of sort of almost like prog folk 
I don't know. It's hard to say. Like I would have just wanted more of that, but because that that isn't my biggest criticism. My biggest criticism criticism is its forgettableness. And the thing is, the memorableness needs to come from the vocal mostly. Because yeah, that's the, thing that's the most dominant part. And I, again, that that was the primary issue for me. I will just say, I think there's. I do think it's kind of unique, which is a plus. And I have listened to it a fair few times as well, but. Some of the time it has been almost forcing myself to do so. And you do find your attention shifting quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. Have you have either of you heard uh, Harmonium, the French Canadian band? No. No. Is that like a, a better version of this? Well, I mean, it, it just reminded me of it at times because it's kind of doing that like light and airy, folky prog mm-hmm. thing, but it's it's a lot more focused and varied and i think it just does a similar thing a a bit better basically sure i do think it was a good pick uh i did get something out of it i actually some of the instrumental sections i really liked um like andy said some of the places it goes at times is is super interesting but then the problem is it's like three minutes into a song and i'm like oh that bit's great but i've got to get through that first three minutes to get there Mm. um yeah and i don't really want to do that I, I I will say as well because I didn't chime in with it before. Uh, more than Jason is is clearly the the standout tune, but it's yeah. entirely yeah. down to that back half. I think. Yeah, the back half is just is rad in it, and it. But as you say, you've got to get there first. I really like the first half of it as well. Like it's the kind of juxtaposition between them as well that I think kind of makes the song. I think the like the main riff in the first half is stronger than any other riff on the album. And then the second half of it is, I was going to say, cool outro, but it's not. It's not a cool outro. It's the second half of the song. Yeah. I, I to be honest, I my expectation was that Will would kind of obviously like it to a point uh, because he chose it, and I actually figured I thought you'd like it loads. I was. I'm a little surprised actually. I thought I'd be the uh, negative one. The dissenter. No, I think his criticisms are absolutely real. Like Little Tybee are a band. Except. Before this, I'd only listened to one other album, which was for Distant Viewing. And I've kind of come back and found similar things where I do like the overall sound of it. And I do find it sort of broadly interesting, but it it just never really holds my attention. Um, I don't really really like coming into these things, offering something that is already well-worn for me. Because generally, we talk enough in private that we've probably talked about it. So I try and pick things that are just parallel to my existing taste. Things I think I will probably like, but yeah. you know, I'm not picking things that are purposely shite for you to, <laughs> to rag on. But I do think this misses the misses the mark. I think what it's trying to achieve, I assume, and what it does achieve, I think, uh, uh, pulls apart. It's a very, very fine line to walk where your songs are kind of progressive and interesting but also memorable and uh sort of hooky for want of a better term and i think that's where they miss it i think their songs are often quite interesting but they're just never interesting is maybe not the word musically interesting without being entertainingly interesting yeah i think that's fair mangle the language a bit there but i think that gets my point across no i think that makes sense like I say, first listen, I thought, like, I'll listen a bit more closely to this. I'll I'll like it. But the closer I listen, the less I did. I think that's been my experience with Little Tybee to date. 
So I think I should like it. I think it's something that I will like if I listen to it enough. And I do and I don't. <laughs> I do listen to it enough and I still don't like it, really. Like the final thing I'll say is I did do a little bit of research because I was interested and I read an interview with the guitarist and he sort of spoke about how, you know, he would spend hours practicing like a four second lick or whatever. And you can tell because as I say, he's he's a brilliant player, like there's real technical virtuosity going on there. Mm. But same with the whole band. It's like it just sounds like a technical exercise rather than, you know, having a bit more heart to it i, I don't know I, no, I, don't I, really... I honestly think it's the songwriting that's that lets it down like i think you're absolutely right but there's nothing wrong with being that well rehearsed but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should i don't i don't need less of that i just think the songs aren't strong enough so it doesn't matter write better songs and uh and i'll like it more it's like they spent that much time putting in the graft on creating these complex musical pieces that they actually just forgot to have some hooks in there and yeah kind of forgot to write a song yeah let, let's write it anyway because okay ratings well i'll go first and i suppose i think i'm going to give this album i think i'm going to be fairly generous to give it a six out of ten again assuming that five is fine i think the one track that's really good pulls it up a bit for me and there are moments throughout it again that I think are are good. They're just, as we've discussed, kind of mired in their own sound, I suppose. But six, it's all right. I was going to give it four out of ten, but having listened to your reasoning, I'm going to give a whole extra point for More Than Jason because it's a cool song, which makes it absolutely bang average at five. Fair, fair. I'm I'm going six as well. Oh, um, after after a bit, are you causing you physical pain? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> hurt my ears. I bled a little. Six out of ten. Blah, blah. Good stuff. <laughs> Better than average. <laughs> I just feel like a bit of a dick giving it a a low score. I think because you can tell like a ton of work's gone into it, and I I, I respect that. Yeah, but you don't. I, I, I I know, but <laughs> yeah, fuck them. I ha- I had a little bit more time for the violin stuff than than you guys as well. I think. I think that's fair. As a very accomplished violinist, I think that's more attuned to your ear. Well, exactly. You know, <laughs> as a, as a, as a... <laughs> compliment taken. <laughs> no, not at all. The biggest font of discussion: the top five video game soundtracks. I am so excited about this. I I am. I'll tell you, I've done a um, I've done a will this week. When I was making a list, I figured somebody had put a Zelda soundtrack in there and a Mario soundtrack, and uh, so yeah, I've ignored all of those. You're probably right. Cool. So, seems you've already called me out, Andy. I'm going to kick it off. Number five, The Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker. That would have been my Zelda pick if I was picking. I, I, Interesting. I'm glad you say so. Because at first, I was really I was going to put Zelda in there and I was really tossing up between Ocarina of Time and uh, and Wind Waker. But I played Wind Waker, the remake, like semi-recently and the soundtrack days. It is, it's an incredible it is soundtrack and it adds a lot of the original Zelda soundtracks that we know and love. And then adds in all the sort of sea shanties and 
extra songs of like riding on the ocean and it's yeah i think that soundtrack is superb i think in the style it was done means that it it still sounds good now you know they didn't sort of aim for an extremely high fidelity sort of soundtrack that could age when technology moves on it's kind of got that playful cartoonishness which means it just doesn't feel like it ages much like the game of course i considered loads of other uh, zelda titles in there of which i won't go away and name them all because they may yet turn up but of them i did select wind waker as my crowning zelda i love breath of the wild and the soundtrack is my only sort of criticism to it and i know a lot of people really like the soundtrack but i just like i sort of needed all that zelda melody throwbacks it raises an interesting point that I tried to consider throughout this as well, which was not conflagrating the quality of the game with the quality of the soundtrack. Like, I think things like Twilight Princess isn't a great Zelda. Actually, its soundtrack's pretty rad. Yeah. Um, True. Well, my five, number five, is uh, Professor Layton and the Curious Village. Oh, lovely stuff. Good pick. It's not like massively varied as a soundtrack. The main theme starts off with that kind of accordion and piano. It's super mysterious. Um, it's like a very like Parisian field, isn't it? I think it'd be a really good opening fray, uh, like French version of Jonathan Creek. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that. I could <laughs> see Professor Layton as a, as a TV show. Yeah, I, I also I'd watch a French Jonathan Creek. Um <laughs> But then, yeah, it goes into a big jazz flow. I listened to the album, uh, the soundtrack on Spotify, and there's mm-hmm. a live version of the main theme. Oh, nice. Um, and it like breaks off into like big percussion in the second half of it and stuff. I love it. I love it's it when video cool. game companies take the soundtrack too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. But like, um, the, the whole rest of the soundtrack is pretty much on that kind of vibe. Like it's all like dead mysterious, little kind of French-influenced... I think there's accordion on pretty much every track. Um, so if you don't like the theme, then you're not going to like the soundtrack. The rest of it, yeah. If you do like it, then you're going to be absolutely sold for the for the whole game. I think it does something with music, which is not perhaps unique to video games, but is really important, particularly with a game of this type, is that they've created a theme that runs behind all of the puzzles. And some of these puzzles are real like brain teasers and take you a long time. And yet it's a theme you can listen to over and over again and loops perfectly. Never seems to get boring. No. It's not invasive enough that you really sort of, you always are listening to it. But it's also good enough that when you do listen to it, you're like, oh, it's the tune. <laughs> I, I remember playing it and listening to the, um, to the like, I can't remember what it's called, but the like music box um, mm-hmm. theme. And it probably was that, like doing a puzzle and just listening to that over and over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's a soundtrack. Not all of the ones on my list I would say this to, but it's a soundtrack that I, I'd happily just put it on whilst I'm like cooking or I would happily have it just playing in the background. I can listen to it separate of the game. It's a, like, yeah. it's a great album. <laughs> it wasn't a, a specific that that had to be the case, but I think that is true of all of my top five like i think i am happy to listen to these without the game and that's probably why why they made the top five marco what's your uh what's your five um well i'm doing the list properly and having actual top five 
Sounded like a dick, but go on. <laughs> Number five is uh, Metroid Prime. Yeah. Um, which, it's not exactly, I don't know, there is no, uh, traditional video game music, I suppose, is very upbeat and melodic, isn't it? It's, it's all about the hooks, and Metroid Prime absolutely isn't. It's an, it's an interesting point to raise, because while I was sort of looking through and doing these lists, I noted how modern games have become more and more like cinematic in their soundtrack and yeah. actually how I like that less than almost the acknowledgement that it's a video game. Sorry, Mark, I've derailed you, your point there. No, not at all. I just, it's, I mean, it's, it, I don't even think Metroid Prime is trying to be cinematic in that sense. It's, no. Um, it's just pure, pure atmosphere, isn't it? It's also just got some really pretty stuff in it, like Fendrana Drifts, for example. Mm-hmm. beautiful little piece it's like it's got a lot of ambience and then a lot of kind of more i don't know industrial sounding things but it just works really well with the game okay so my number four uh my number four soundtrack is mutant muds i don't know if either of you have played played the game no it is a an indie side scrolling sort of action platformer probably uh, most in the vein of like Mega Man, where you're a, a young boy challenged with killing these sort of blobs of mud of various sizes and difficulty with your water gun to save your grandma. Um, it's a pretty tough platformer uh, with some really nice kind of 8-bit art. And the music goes along with it. It's a real kind of throwback. It's what I like to call 8-bit plus, where it's kind of, it takes all those sounds and stuff of the NES and SNES, well, NES really, generation, but then it combines it with, you know, actually be able, be able to have more than four tracks of sounds at any one time and and make sort of advanced versions of those of those original tunes. So that's like Mutant Muds is all of that. Sadly, it's not on Spotify, so it's a, it's a YouTuber for that one, but I would, uh, I'd highly recommend it. And it is a soundtrack that I'd happily uh, just listen to on its own. Nice. My number four is uh, Jet Set Radio. I hadn't even thought of Jet Set Radio. I think I'm right in saying it came out. I'm sure it did. It came out about the same time as Tony Hawk's 2. I um, think give or take. I had it on Dreamcast. I don't know if that was the original platform that it I, came out on. I also played it on Dreamcast. I know I, Xbox had it later down the line. but I, I never had a Dreamcast and I had a friend... Who lived like round the corner from me, and I'd just go and play. I think for a year, pretty much, I went and played Tony Hawk's Two and uh, Jet Set Radio. Um, yeah, the soundtrack's just uh, just like nineties hip hop and like like acid jazz. Like I feel like yeah. it's the uh, <laughs> it's the album that Jamiroquai wishes he wrote. <laughs> I must admit, I'd forgotten. I hadn't even considered that game, but it was it was a great game with a great soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever ever been back to it the controls are so hard like, <laughs> control controls like a tank on roller skates it's i've useless. i've not played it since i was uh since i was 12 but i have listened to the soundtrack since i was 12 but yeah it was cool that's a good choice tracks like humming the baseline if you don't if you don't have a bit of a groove going on listening to that then uh yeah we we can't be friends <laughs> doing it wrong yeah <laughs> just, just a cool i know this isn't about the soundtrack but just a cool like format of game as well you just had to go around this kind of multi-layered map and 
basically graffiti on walls and not get caught by the police. <laughs> okay. Um, shall I go? Yeah, I think that's your number four. Number four, I'm going to go for uh, Tropical Freeze, Donkey Kong, David Wise. Uh, again, would have been in there if I didn't think that you would have picked it. What a sound. Yeah, it's, it's a superb choice. Yeah, I mean, needed to have some Donkey Kong. And I was kind of tempted to go for one of the SNES ones because that's just so cool and atmospheric. But Tropical Freeze, I don't know. There's just so many. Like, I love the windmill music. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. The kind of African Savannah one is brilliant with all well, that's like, the thing isn't it like and... it, it changes quite a lot between worlds like you kind of yeah, get that, it... like African um vibes to it throughout that kind of African world yeah it's just I don't know they're just top little melodies really mm-hmm. they're, they're proper earworms and I think as you say I think you could have picked anything from the Donkey Kong Country franchise from like origin to date because I think every soundtrack is is amazing um I think like Tropical Freeze and Donkey Kong Country Returns benefit from like you know better sort of sound production and stuff um, in games, but broadly like the themes are there in the originals and it's just a great, really memorable soundtrack throughout. Yeah, exactly. Okay, my number three is another indie title, and this is one I listen to all the time, and is Shovel Knight. Again, another like real 8-bit throwback. I'd say this one's more in the vein, I guess, of kind of like sort of super ghosts and ghouls style. It's a bit more hack and slash, sort of big boss battles at the end of each level, really tough, like really hard. And a genuinely superb like uh 8-bit soundtrack. As you listen through it into different bosses and different levels it has kind of minor versions of the main song and more upbeat ones and it doesn't always rely on one theme but brings it back in time and time again in different ways and is a well-constructed as well as just gloriously sounded soundtrack yeah i I like shovel knight a lot um i considered it as well it's a guy called like jake kaufman who Mm -hmm. um is pretty awesome in general but that one in particular is great just because it's got that kind of medieval vibe to it as well and yeah it's it's like super high action um it's really sort of upbeat and feels 80s in a way that like 8-bit gaming is 80s and it has that almost it is medieval but it's like an action hero medieval i think there's one particular crack track called strike the ground and i recommend that everybody goes away and listens to strike the ground that's my number three cool uh, so my number three is my cinematic choice. Oh, so uh, well done by the listening, um, which is Journey. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sort of eat my words on that one a little bit. Um, the soundtrack is just, uh, it's just gorgeous. Like, I'd love to see a orchestra play the soundtrack. It's an occasion where that absolutely works. Like the cinema, the cinematic style. I, I read as well in the like two minutes of Googling that I did about the soundtrack that it was written alongside the game. Um, so as well as the game obviously influencing the soundtrack, like the soundtrack influenced the game as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it sort of opens up with just like gorgeous strings. There's like a little bit of a kind of Eastern, Eastern vibe uh, to it, like a lot of kind of Eastern wind instruments. I think it really like 
like it's a vast world and I think the soundtrack sounds vast um and then bits of it like when it's kind of there's more underground bits where it's kind of darker and moodier and a bit more unsettling um there's more kind of driving percussive bits uh, but it, it's it's a fully orchestrated and just like gorgeous cinematic soundtrack it's ace yeah no you're absolutely right it is occasion i just i rescind my previous comments <laughs> i think it is a game that with anything less than that level of like boldness in the soundtrack would have done it a complete disservice so i think on that occasion it is absolutely the right choice to go like full balls to the wall cinema score it's just it just feels like it goes hand in hand like i can't imagine the game without the soundtrack like it's just it's so intrinsic to it it sets the tone and the mood of everything yeah no fair play good call yeah i've only, I've only heard a couple of tracks from it which which i liked um but i've not played the game so i'll uh, i'll check it out okay uh my number three is um earthbound oh yes yeah um which i just think is one of the best SNES soundtracks. And I know you mentioned before, Will, about kind of the older consoles sound-wise dating. I don't find that a problem at all. I actually find it like mega charming. I think often I actually prefer the sound of the older versions. But Earthbound doesn't sound like... I couldn't... I think it'll be ruined, updated. It, it's got like this real kind of alien charm to it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mean to say that like I think they are actively bad um i just think that when people come back to do it now as a kind of homage they've they've got all of the resources and technological advancements of of music i think sometimes putting limitations on things makes them better and only having four available tracks of which to drive sound through what they did produce is phenomenal (laughs) like how you get actual music is wild it's insane. And Earthbound just has this, it's a crazy melt. It's got some like pastiche kind of rock and roll stuff. It's got some traditional upbeat video game RPG music. It's got like really avant-garde alien soundscapes. And it's almost got like, I don't know, trip hop elements to it as well. It yeah. just goes, it covers the entire gamut of like whatever you could think of. And it, it does it all really well. Uh, so I guess that brings... I was on to my number two, which I'm maybe not surprised to have not seen it at this point, but I'd be surprised if it's not replicated, is Mario Galaxy 1 and 2. I think it's reasonable to jam those two soundtracks together as it felt like they're effectively extensions of the same game. And the first time that Mario had been fully orchestrated, and it's just, it's out of this world. Like, it is... I'm not sure what to say about it. We haven't said about the other stuff already, but it is memorable. It's catchy. It's fun. It's buoyant. Every track feels different. They incorporate original sort of Mario themes, but also have these brand new themes that feel like immediate classics once you've heard them. Yeah, I think that's true. Like it just feels part of the uh, part of the canon, doesn't it? Straight away, just immediately. Like, um, and I think it is Koji Kondo, isn't it, who makes it? So it is. The original. Uh, no, it's um, Mahito Yakata for the most ah, part. Ah, so someone else has taken up the mantle. But yeah. Koji does a couple of the tracks, but all the right. kind of 
all the epic space tracks, I guess, or like Gusty Garden and all those. Gusty Gardens is that's, superb. Um, that says your your Carter guy or your Carter. I can't remember, but but again, in a game that's made to have so many different like worlds and levels, or with different themes, is every every world has a different theme and every level has a different tune, sort of within that theme. It's perfectly constructed and set out. And I say the songs work on their own outside of the game, and uh, yes. yeah, hugely. Yeah, there's some incredible pieces of music, like even the. Um... The Comet Observatory in Galaxy One and the way that every time you unlock another part or whatever, it adds more instruments to the theme. But it's just it's just like an amazing kind of waltz, really. Mm. But I don't I don't think it's far off like, you know, take like Tchai- Tchaikovsky or something. Like genuinely, I don't think it's far off something like that. It's it's really fucking well written. Yeah. I think it's as good a written piece of music as any. Like I think, despite it being made specifically for a video game soundtrack, shouldn't uh, shouldn't detract from the fact that it's a really, really well written series of like pieces of music. Yeah, hundred percent. Obviously, it's it's my number two. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Mario! Right. Well, we might as well get onto your number two. <laughs> We've given ours. Um, so, <laughs> so my number two is uh, Bastion. Ah, uh, you know I did come across Bastion. Yeah, good, good pick. I said it's kind of got that um, honky tonk sort of wild west, but well, I think it's massively varied. Like it's um, a lot of it sounds like it should be part of like the Firefly soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, that kind of yeah, like bluegrass. Like I read, it doesn't surprise me because it's obviously like a little indie game, but um, it was recorded by one guy, like basically in the cupboard of his bedroom. <laughs> um, yeah, Darren, uh, Darren, Darren Corb. Corb. Yeah. But then like bits of it have got like big industrial rock and like cool little break beats. But then like there's, there's odd like tracks on it, like uh, Mother I'm Here, like the Wolf's theme. Like, if you told me, apart from the vocals, if you told me it was like an early um, Radiohead track, I'd believe you. It's just, it's a cool fucking song, and it's just absolutely, like, full of emotion. But, like, the vocal line's superb. The little chord changes are great. It, it sounds like it's recorded in somebody's cupboard. Like, the recording <laughs> recording quality throughout the soundtrack is pretty, pretty low, but I, it doesn't really make any difference. Have you heard uh, Transistor? Only <laughs> only the last few days, yeah. Because oh, okay. since I listened yeah. to the soundtrack, I, <laughs> I listened to some of his other stuff. Yeah, Transistor's got some pretty cool stuff as well, from what I've heard. Yeah, absolutely yeah. agree. All right, cool. All right, I've done mine. So You've done your number two. Well. Anything else yeah. you want to add about Mario Galaxy before we... Uh... I think only that it really, really stood out. Like the first time I played it, I think when you get to Battle Rock, something like that, the uh, the first galaxy. kind of real space level, where it's like Good Egg Galaxy, and that's kind of fine. But it just sort of takes off. It's um, for Mario at the time. That was that was very different because I think <laughs> in general it was just kind of upbeat, like sort of Mario music, like the traditional sort of ragtime big band, yeah. like sounding fun stuff, and then. It's suddenly going all epic, but still just has absolutely killer tunes in there. 
um, and it made Galaxy stand out quite a bit. So yeah. So my number one uh, is a game both built in nostalgia and because I do listen to the soundtrack constantly. Uh, this game has even had a new updated soundtrack, but it's the original, which I will always love, and that is for Final Fantasy VII by Nubuo Umatsu. And I mm-hmm. apologize in advance for anybody who knows how to pronounce that properly. But again, is it, it's a score like made of like MIDI sounds. So the actual quality of each individual sound is generally awful. But in there is the character of these like fake strings and oh, what was the instrument called? Uh, is it the piano instrument that you could load tape reels in to each key so it could sample? Mellotron. A Mellotron. Has yeah. that kind of vibe to it where you get these kind of sampled voices that are just static notes like layered on top of each other. It's the same and thing it, they use in Metroid. Yeah, absolutely. That same kind of vibe. And it's got a weird sort of off-kilter sci-fi feel about it, about being futuristic, but what they thought the future would be in the 70s. Uh, It ranges from really beautiful using the original Final Fantasy big arpeggios that if you've played any Final Fantasy uh, game, you'll have heard the big sort of arpeggio theme. And then goes into like... I mean, there's an opening bombing mission and the music in that is so sort of tense and almost like spy-like and has this beat running under it all the time, which is keeping the the pace going of the game. Ah, it's, it's, yeah, it's exceptional soundtrack. And there's loads of it and it's all different. <laughs> there's tons and tons of it. Cool. Good choice. So my number one, yeah, my number one pick is Portal. Oh, wow. Okay. We had a one-minute conversation where Will said I wanted to put Portal in my list because the like end tracks are so good, and said like the rest of the soundtrack just kind of passes me by. Still alive is superb at the end <laughs> of the uh, first game, but it's not the reason that I picked it as number one. I think that the soundtrack. Like when I've been saying that I would listen to um, pretty much all the other ones, I would listen to the soundtrack separately without playing the game. I wouldn't really do that with Portal, but I don't think there's another soundtrack that changes the feel of the game, like influences how you feel whilst you're playing the game as much as the soundtrack to Portal does. Like it's... That's fair. It's kind of a... Like the game is... Um, I mean, it's a puzzler with kind of like darkly humorous plot throughout it. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the game feels like quite unsettling and claustrophobic and like almost like it feels more like a kind of a horror survival game in bits. Like there's no reason for it to feel like that apart from the soundtrack, I think, because the soundtrack yeah. is this kind of like crunchy, aggressive, like industrial. Um, like electronic sort of soundscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just think the whole game, the tone of the game is set by the soundtrack. And I think if you played it with the soundtrack off, the game would feel completely different. Like it would feel quite light and fun and enjoyable. I mean, it's, it's a superb game. It's still fun and enjoyable. But I think it's just the entire like darkness is just added by the soundtrack. I, I haven't played Portal 1. I played Portal 2, um, mm-hmm. which was incredible. I, you know, it's one of my favorite games ever. 
But I have to say, I, I don't remember the music at all. I don't know if Portal 2 is different to the first, like musically. No, I think um, Portal 1 and Portal 2 are quite quite similar musically. There, well, there's nothing memorable. Fair. There's nothing memorable about it in terms of that's what I mean about I wouldn't listen to it as a soundtrack just on its own. But I remember one bit where there's that like, is it a crow that keeps popping up? And GLaDOS is like in a potato. Yeah. <laughs> and a bird keeps landing on her. Keeps trying to steal the potato. Yeah, and she keeps trying to get you to kill the bird. Like that's a sort of little ridiculous throwaway moment that happens about three times. But <laughs> every time you do it, it's accompanied by this, I'd say like really claustrophobic unsettling. Um, <laughs> it does score. have a way. And it, of... Like I say, it has no reason to feel like feel that uncomfortable while you're playing that bit. Like the soundtrack just brings that out of it. In terms of how it changes the game, like it's entirely essential to like the tone tone of the game. It would just yeah, you're saying it lifts it to so, another level, basically. Yeah, which, so it would be um, so different without it. Cool. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's not not one I would have expected, but respect. As you were saying at the beginning, like I was dancing around the idea of picking it just because of still alive and want you gone the kind of the outro songs of both games yeah God, i've not by... even i've not even mentioned them like still alive is such a good song i don't think another game has done like comedy outro music as well as uh as well as portal has yeah i i think that i think both of them are superb songs and i genuinely have them in my just general playlists like i just i think they're great songs like songs sung by glados about like basically the exploits of what's happened in the game, yeah, and cake, um, and they're really funny and and, often, and quite sweet and sort of have quite a lot of pathos <laughs> to them as well, yeah, and are just worth listening to on their own. Like I said, I ultimately didn't pick it because I couldn't, in the same way that I think you have very well justified it. I couldn't personally justify the kind of rest of the soundtrack as being part of my favourite, but those two songs were nearly enough. Are we ready for your number one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've gone for the expected thing, obviously. So it's Zelda. Um, because I think ultimately, if I think of video game music, I'm thinking of Zelda, even above Mario, for me personally. Um, the one I picked, and it's very difficult, very difficult. I think um, Majora's Mask was in consideration, um, Wind Waker obviously a link to the past even the original because it introduces like the classic main theme Mm -hmm. but yeah uh, i went ocarina just because i feel like it kind of contains a bit of everything really it's got the classic main themes it's got like the fairy fountain and everything it's got kakariko village um all the ocarina songs it's a great uh, choice it's a great amazing i mean like Song, Song of the Storms, Storms is, is, is bloody uh, incredible. Uh, yeah. Lost Woods again, just yeah. Like there's uh, the amount brilliant. of tracks, like it's it's ridiculous. It's like it's iconic stuff, and it's just great fantasy music. Like I I think the the Zelda main theme I said before about you know Mario Galaxy and like Tchaikovsky or whatever, but the Zelda main theme is as good as like most classic melodies or whatever, you know. And music is an integral part of that game as well. Yeah, I think, yeah. like, again, Nintendo games just have to have a stronger relationship with their music than I think a lot of other franchises do. 
Um, I'm not sure necessarily why that is. I think maybe potentially a Japanese thing. Cause I think I feel the same way about Sonic and some of the some of the other yeah. Sega titles. Yeah. Like Streets of Rage had a pretty prominent soundtrack to it, and maybe Western or, or American games don't have that same relationship. But I loved I loved playing through Ocarina of Time and picking up the different songs. And when you first get them, you're just like do do do. Do yeah. do do, and then by the end of the game, you just go like do 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 play that one. <laughs> I know all of these <laughs> intrinsically. I can just mash my hand into the keypad and get the song out. And just like that melody alone, like it's mad, like all the ocarina tunes. But that's Zelda's lullaby, that one, isn't it? I mean, it's just absolutely classic. So few notes in all of them, and they're just. I mean, I don't actually know how he did it. He's got like nine or ten, just great themes with such a limited pool to draw from there's one thing i think applies to all zeldas and i I forgot to mention with with wind waker is how good the sort of incidental music is yeah like everybody knows what it sounds like when you open a chest yeah it's a five second piece of of music but it is brilliant and it is like 100 zelda's full of it mario's got plenty of it as well but it's that just you do an action you get a thing and it has a sound and that sound is so memorable and in and of itself, a good little ditty. (laughs) No, great shout. Absolutely. Okay. So that is all of our top fives. So we want to then talk about our honorable mentions. Yes, please. I'll get one thing out of the way early doors. I had more than one Zelda in my honourable mentions, including Ocarina of Time for all the mentioned, all the reasons mentioned previously, uh, and also a link between worlds. I also had uh, the 2016 Doom soundtrack, which is essentially mm-hmm. just an instrumental metal album. And when you when you're ploughing through demons with a double barrel shotgun, it's exactly what you want to be listening to. Contrast to that, another option I had was Cuphead, which is a yeah. uh, so 2D indie platformer again like super hard but has this real 20s 30s kind of bossing over swing jazz soundtrack going on it's amazing that's one of mine I think yeah that soundtrack is unbelievable uh keep up the nintendo links mario kart 8 um mm-hmm. particularly the sort of live tracks i don't think they all are on that soundtrack but the the handful of live tracks they did like the ones for like f-zero i don't think is a Big Blue's not a live track. Uh, I think it is. Is I it? Thought, it is. I thought the entire soundtrack was alive. Oh, okay. Could be wrong. Like live instruments. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, think the entire soundtrack is live instruments. Okay. Well, like, I think that's real sax. Maybe it should have gone in the top five. But I only back to something you said earlier with uh, Professor Layton as I had Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Kind I of had that, had that on my honorable mentions as well similar-ish game with a similar-ish vibe of soundtrack it's not quite so parisian but has that knack of just being repetitive and not boring old school had Mega Man 2 which i think is one of my favorite like original 8-bit uh soundtracks and that's ace i did have donkey kong country in there one that i'm surprised that didn't come up on your list marco and i assume is in your honorable mentions is hollow knight it's in my honorable mentions I guess the same Absolutely. as you. It just didn't quite make the cut for the top five, but is a superb atmospheric. Yeah, it, it was between that and Metroid Prime for like the kind of ambient dark pick. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there is an argument that Hollow Knight's better. I mean, like the um, 
the boss music as well is incredible. It goes into all this kind of harpsichord stuff. I don't even know if it's harpsichord. I mean, it's his next one, like the Hollow Knight sequel. They're mm-hmm. doing it all live instruments this time. Uh, um, I mean, it's going to be so good. It's going to be incredible. But yeah, Hollow Knight's a, an amazing soundtrack, no doubt. Uh, so just to round off my honourable mentions, and it's the last one I put on my list, was the the original Halo soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, I had that on there as well. Uh, not really the whole game, I suppose, but just that opening theme, the sort of Celtic rock theme. Um, it's, it's iconic. Like It is, it is um, iconic. Go on, Mark. Any honourables I've not mentioned? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple. I had Cuphead, I had Hollow Knight, real through the others. Like So uh, Grim Fandango, mm-hmm. kind of similar to Cuphead, just sort of pastiche score, but really good one. Yeah. Another platformer with a really good score. Rayman Legends and Origins. Ah, you know what? The music's excellent. Didn't really cross my mind, but you're right. A recent one, which I'll mention, I don't don't know if it's a top tenor or whatever, but it's it's a recent one that I thought was very good, which is Paper Mario Origami King. Two others, uh, underrated one, uh, Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, which I've never played, but I just randomly ended up listening to it on YouTube about five years ago finally uh secret of mana and chrono trigger of which i think chrono trigger is my favored one out of the two but mm-hmm. i mean you can't really argue with them they're just absolute classics really yeah classics of the genre yeah yeah i um my honorable mentions have been 99 percent covered uh the only one that's not been covered is Either if you play Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg on Dreamcast. No, but it sounds rad. It's a fucking bonkers game. The main theme of it, I remember as well, because they spell out Giant Egg, but it sounds like, I think it's the A, it sounds like they're missing out. So it sounds like they're just saying, like, Gint Egg. (laughs) And to be honest, I don't always hear Egg at the end of it either. Like, it doesn't always sound like G's. That's all from us now at Screen and Needle. Thanks very much for joining us. Next week will be Mark's choices. Mark, can you tell us what they're going to be? Sure. So we'll go with Five Easy Pieces, the Bob Raffleson film starring Jack Nicholson. The album will be Anti-Fogmatic by the Punch Brothers. And we'll do Top Five Directorial Debuts. That sounds great. Join us next time. <laughs>